to another episode of SumoCast. I'm Laura and I'm joined by my co-host Rebecca. Hello. Today we are continuing our mini-series of advice and tips for getting into the games industry. This time around we're focusing on the wonderful world of design. We have a few guests with us today. Would you like to introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? Hello, um, I'm Nathan. I'm a junior designer. I'm currently stationed at Sumo Newcastle. I'm living in Middlesbrough. You could usually find me hunting obscure foreign games and exploring engine tech. Oh, very nice. Hi, uh, I'm Rianne. I'm a narrative designer over in the Sheffield studio. Um, big board game nerd, lover of Dungeons and Dragons. Awesome. My name is Paul Coles. I'm design director at Sumo Digital in Sheffield. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for about 20 years now and, uh, you know, having a lot of fun and loving, loving life at Sumo at the moment. And, uh, we're doing some great things so looking forward to sharing some information with you and last but not least kyle my name's kyle i'm one of the internal recruiters at sumo and and i specialize in design recruitment Uh, i've been with sumo two years from next week and uh love anything on the xbox but i'm I'm limited to my xbox i should probably invest in a pc so you folks are all part of design. Um, how did you all kind of get into the industry? How did you, you get to where you are now? So um, I met my boss in a pub. <laughs> 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 no, I, I um, so as a kid, I, I was really into games. Obviously, I think that's a, a story that most of us can relate to. And um, I was trying to get into the industry for a long, long time. Uh, I was, um, you know, writing for uh, apprenticeships, all that kind of thing. Used to buy Edge magazine, look in the back of there, see where I could try and apply to. Um, you know, we didn't have back then. There wasn't uh, so many resources. Um, the internet was only just becoming a thing, so it was very difficult to break through. Um, but I did have friends in the industry um, that, that were friends of my parents, so that was where the inspiration came from. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think for me, it was it was all about just persisting. Uh, I just was trying to find any which way to get into the games industry. And at that time, I um, I kind of looked at industries that might support that desire. So I was looking to become a graphic designer at the time, thinking that, you know, it might even be an avenue for me to explore. Um, so I started to become, well, I was training to become an apprentice at a local uh, graphic design company. Um, and, and eventually, I just got extremely lucky off the back of doing a bunch of work for this company. Um, I was doing business cards like on the side for people that were coming to my parents' pub at the time. And I met my boss in my parents' pub and he got talking to me about what I wanted to do. It turned out that he ran his own games company Um, and he got to see all the work that I've been doing. And it kind of, you know, that was basically 20 years ago. (laughs) So so yeah, it was, um, but it was a thing of of persisting with the, the desire, I think. And I think that still rings true to this day, which is, you know, if you know that you've got something that you want to do, just go for it and like really just plow into it and do, and do everything you can to try and take those steps to get you where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. How about um, you guys, Rihanna and Nathan? How, what, what did your path into the industry kind of look like? Oh, it didn't start in a pub for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I started, I guess, getting into more creative fields, um, like in secondary school. I really like the idea of concept art and um, animation, actually, 2D animation, until one day I realized that, oh my gosh, you can actually make video games for a living. (laughs) Really? Um, So I ended up going into, kind of similar to Paul, actually, uh, more art, traditional 2D art, um, 
at the beginning of, of like my educational um, journey from, from secondary school. Uh, and through that, I actually found a course that was dedicated to video games. I was super lucky. Um, so I went to Confetti College in Nottingham. Um, and through that course, I actually discovered uh, engines. So UDK3 was the first engine I worked with. And I went, I enjoy this way more. <laughs> I, um, I enjoy creating things like worlds um, and just experiences. So from there, I just shifted gears and ended up into design, specifically narrative design, after my big love of wanting to play and make sort of narrative journeys for people. That's awesome. That's cool. That's, it's quite like um, quite a transition then from, from where you started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm starting to see a, a trend here because I also, <laughs> when, when, I, yeah, when, I, when I started off, I feel like a lot of it was definitely aimed towards more art. Uh, and animation. I I used to do a lot of pixel art when I was younger, because I'd see a lot of a lot of retro games. Cause I I couldn't I couldn't ever get my hand on any new like PlayStation games that would come out at the time. Living in a very expensive place in London, things were things weren't great. <laughs> so it was always like, well, okay, what did my uncles have as hand me downs and such? And they'd always show me, throw me these really really old games. So a lot of them would be like really sprite based and such. So I'd find myself like, we, we didn't really have access to the internet at the time. So it'd be like looking at the, the, the frame and then trying to do it piece by piece in Microsoft Paint, just try to get the color right. So a lot of it was trying to recreate art scenes from games and then slowly went to making my own mock-ups of things. And before I knew it, I was kind of just like constantly showing it to my brother being like, what do you think of this? And be like, no, it's terrible. I was like, okay, cool. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> Back it, to the drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was a path that went towards uh, going to university eventually it came around to where I realized after trying to do more QA stuff, I just kind of wanted to dive in deeper, not just like test games, but try to build my own experiences. A lot of focus on just game film, making sure the player enjoys what they're doing. These arcade experiences you usually get. So I, I, I took an art course, but out of nowhere, my teacher was like, you're, you're doing a lot of designing there, huh? I was like, am I? <laughs> and then he kind of just like made me dive fully into this entire other side of things. Apparently I was doing without knowing because a lot of these, like when it comes to psychology, you end up picking up terms, but you didn't really know the right words for it. So then out of nowhere, I was just like, oh, this is the thing. There's, there's words for this. And then it just became a full on dive into just game design. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. I can really relate to the um, picking up MS Paint. For me, it was Deep Paint back on the Amiga. Um, mm. And, you know, I, like you say, just picking out frames of sort of art and like whether that be from like professional magazines or something or whatever resources you could get and just trying to copy that and learn. Um, that was definitely something. And I started out as a pixel popping Game Boy artist as well. So, um, yeah, I can really relate to that. That's brilliant. Man. So already you've you've all kind of mentioned different areas of design and it's such a, I guess design is such a huge umbrella term. Um, what different kinds of design are there? Um, maybe just at Sumo or in the industry in general? Like, I, I guess it's like, like Rianne, you do narrative. Um, what, what are the other kind of options out there? Infinite. <laughs> Infinite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> There, there is there is a lot. I think the, the typical ones that you, you would come across are, are kind of level design, game design, narrative design, um, but it really does start to diverge quite a lot as well. So even in uh, when you look at game design, you have people that are focusing on economy design, for example, or um, you know on the narrative side of things, some people will be focusing on, on purely the script side of things. Others will be um, pulling in uh, you, you know the system stuff and sort of supporting bringing 
like written material into the game. Um, there are many aspects, of, of course. Um, Rihanna, then, if you want to jump in on that one, sorry to throw you under the bus, but yeah, it, and I think as well, it's um, important to point out that it differs from project and company to company too, because um, where some people might ask for a content designer that might be level design in another place, um, designers like it, it's limitless in its in its boundaries. It completely. Um, depends on the kind of project you want to make um, and where responsibilities lie too. But it, you just got to kind of, um, yeah, look for the, the main ones, like Paul said. Um, but I got given a really cool piece of advice back when I was in college. And uh, a guy who I can't remember the name of, uh, who was from the industry at the time, came in and said, you will likely uh, apply for jobs that don't even exist yet not because they don't exist but the um the name for them like the actual role doesn't exist yet because games are ever developing so that's an interesting concept <laughs> how they're just always always changing yeah you're kind of preparing yourself for something that's that's not there yet so how does it work for people college age say that are looking to get into design um like what sort of paths do you recommend to them is it like a general games design course at university um, and sort of how do you end up with your specialism I suppose? I think um, if I may just jump in on that one initially there, there's um, you know again there, there are kind of different aspects to it when you go into sort of university and, and I didn't take that path obviously as, as I mentioned earlier but um, at university you, you tend to go on you know it's, it's often like a um, a game design course or, or something like that or a computer science course or you know there's lots of different courses but it tends to be somewhat general and, and I think that the useful thing about those sort of courses is that it gives you a little thinking time and I think more often than not it's it's what people do in their spare time whilst they learn off the back of those courses that that is really interesting and if, I think for me you know when when something rolls in from a university graduate I'm really keen to sort of explore what they've been up to in their spare time um, you know, because that that's often more interesting than than what they've done on the courses in some cases. Not all the time, but you know, it it really shows you their their drive and what pushes them to make something that's really compelling and, and exciting, and whether they're willing to actually go beyond what they're doing in their day to day education and, and really push themselves further. So I think that's where you really start to understand the motivations behind behind a designer and, and where they can where they can potentially fit. Yeah, that seems to be quite like we've done a couple of these podcasts now and um, we've done one on code and one on art as well. And that seems to be quite a common theme is that people are really like hiring managers, especially are really interested to see what people work on outside of their university courses. So it's good to know it applies here, too. Just to, to jump on that, it's, it's definitely the case. I agree when I'm, I'm seeing it where I, I came to university late and you feel like there's definitely a skill gap where just by even missing university the, the the new wave of students going in by two years they're getting so much more new skills and things are advancing really really quickly so they're just picking up all these new just by using ue4 really quickly and just seeing a whole new wave of students learning it you realize you may be backpedaling and not miss not being able to keep up with them so when it comes that day where there's gonna be hundreds of graduates in a single building all hunting for the same jobs in the same places and then you realize there's a hundred, there's plenty of other universities elsewhere doing the same thing. It definitely comes down to going above and beyond. Like, what are you doing in your spare time? Are you, did you take any courses previously? Is this something you're hunting down in your own personal projects? And it's also 
with that, it's definitely a quality thing. It's not just, oh, I've, I've got 10 things here and 15 things there. It's like, if you have a project, are you, are you really pushing it? Are you really trying to find the right, uh, learn the right skills from it and see how far you can go with this project? Are you actually trying to meet an endpoint as opposed to just, it's not quite somewhat CV points and more just like learning the skills as you go along the way. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think that's a, that's, that's a good point. This is the thing. I think um, with university, there's there's definitely a lot to take from from university courses, and there's some great ones out there. Um, and I think that it's just see, understanding and seeing how people apply themselves after, um, or during even as well. But I think the the other the other point, and it kind of latches onto what you were saying, Nathan, is that it's kind of funny because you know when you get into the games industry and you're there and you're kind of starting to specialize and maybe you're focusing on you know particular sort of gameplay design or something and you'll be using maybe you'll be using unreal maybe you're using like bespoke engines or, or whatever it is that you're using you, your um, your skill set doesn't tend to broaden that much once you actually get into the game development side of things whereas it's kind of what you alluded to like in in at the point where you can educate yourself, you're kind of looking at all these new tools that are coming out, whether it be Unreal or Unity or whatever, and you're able to get a grasp on all these things that people that are actually embedded in the industry don't even have the time to consider at that point. So there are definitely pros, and and I think that's kind of leans into understanding why it's important that that people that are at that stage of their life can they've got a bit more flexibility, and if they've got um you know, if they've got something, if they're clued up, they'll go and they'll explore those things and really start to try and educate themselves around um, new technologies and new things that are coming in as as the industry progresses, as it always does. Com- completely agree. It's definitely the case where just because you have those three or four years just to study, you, you don't you don't have anything holding you back. You can just go full into it. It's like when I feel like a, a lot of students at the time, they're like, they may feel a little bit pressured because they, they feel like this is a make or break moment. And it's like, as long as I get this task done, it's fine. But it's not just the the submissions. It's just the, the environment around you. You don't have to worry about a crazy amount of income or anything. You can just take this time to just fully develop yourself and get even interpersonal skills. Just just by being in this environment and working in teams, you are learning a lot more compared to if you was doing it on your own. And that in itself is a great life experience. I think just to add on, on the uh, point you raised about... Um specializing specializing in in a design field um like there's so many people and whenever i've gone to do talks to students and stuff don't feel like you have to know exactly what you want to do especially at uni as well because that is a time for personal growth and it does continue when you hit industry i didn't start industry as a narrative designer i started as a level designer um you just kind of as as both the guys have said find your feet, take the opportunities that you have. Um, and then the growth and where you want to develop into kind of just grows with you as you progress further into the industry. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like I say, I, I started as a pixel popping Game Boy Colorized and, and now I'm a design director. So like, and that path is actually quite a, um, a roller coaster of a ride through the industry. And, and I've been a little bit of a jack of all trades and, um, you know, and I think that that that's it's a really important point, Rianne. It's like you don't necessarily have to go right. I've got to be this one thing as soon as I get into the industry. You know, yeah. for sure, get that focus to help get you in. Um, but there's no harm, and and everybody in in games should understand the the wish to develop and improve yourself. And I think that um, when people see that you're specialising and that you're paying particular attention to certain things, you know, good leaders will kind of focus your attention in those sort of positions. Uh, and, and that's something that we're starting to see more, I believe, in in our industry. So from what you guys have said, um, it's really easy to kind of move around within design. Are there any skills that kind of stay consistent across the board? Like, um, is it good to 
perhaps have stronger writing skills or communication skills are there any things that the kind of skills that you should always be kind of honing in and training on yeah yeah i i think just just to be clear i don't necessarily think it's really easy to sort of uh move across design necessarily it, it could be for some people but i think that to, to drill into the point like um there are definitely some key components for a designer that, that i think are, are really important uh, um you kind of touched on the first one for me and that's communication the the ability to to listen and to work well with others is such a crucial part of design because design ends up straddling so many different disciplines within the industry you know sometimes you're thinking about art and how things are supposed to look and working with the art director and the artist to, to figure that stuff out or you might be working with the audio guys to think about how we're going to signpost key parts of gameplay or you know on the, on the flip side of that you'll be almost certainly be working with tech and code um, on a day-to-day -day basis to implement uh, things so for a designer I can't think of anything more crucial than uh, than being approachable and and communicating well with others uh, it's, it's first and foremost the most important thing for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely highlight on that and say with with these interpersonal skills, it really does help push your your development in the team because even though you're you're trying to make this game that you're gonna be selling to to what to whoever publisher you're gonna be speaking to and the audience, but you're also trying to just sell the game to your own team. You want to make sure people stay motivated and keep that fire burning as you as you go through. And as as you just mentioned, if people don't want to approach you even though these are coming from like your documents or your papers are writing, no one's going to ultimately be able to know what the idea is and then things could easily fall apart. So definitely, definitely agree. Just trying to keep people united is definitely something that's important. Absolutely. And um, through written communication as well, not just verbal. So I know a few of my friends were quite um, overwhelmed or it was quite daunting to think of being able to stand up in front of an audience or be like fronting a meeting and stuff like that. Um, and those skills do come with time. Um, again, you can easily practice those skills when you're in industry as well as prior to. Um, but written communication um, as well as writing in general doesn't have to be academic level writing. <laughs> you're not writing a thesis, but um, being able to document your ideas clearly to the rest of the team um, is is also a big, big one for me. I agree, Rian. I think that, you know, and, and we know this from working day to day to, uh, together on the project with the others. And I think that, you know, we see that every day that is an important aspect of our job. Um, and, I, and I think you touched on another really interesting point there, which is um, kind of pushing yourself to learn as well. And I, I can I can recall a, a very clear example for myself and even, you know, relatively recently in my career where um, I'd left a AAA studio and I was looking to set up my own my own team. And at that point, nobody knew who we were or who I was really, because we'd been working at a AAA level and you know you don't really get so much opportunities to go and talk publicly. Um, so I kind of literally threw myself into presenting. It scared the hell out of me, but going to shows and doing talks, like I did a talk at Develop and I did a few other things. And I was, I was terrified going into those things. I've, I've got to be honest. And, but I knew that by doing those things, I would get better at it over time. I'd become used to that and it'd get me ready for doing things like the guys have already talked about here, which is like presenting to the team, presenting to clients or customers and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and again, it's, it, it's all part of that communication. It all comes back to that uh, and making sure that you're prepared to, to get up and stand in front of people and, and let them know what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. So we, 
We haven't touched on um, other ways people can find their way into the industry. So um, not necessarily college or university, but initiatives like Search for a Star or Grads and Games and Brains Eden. Have you had any experience with those sorts of things and whether if a potential applicant was to be involved in them, would, would that stand them in good stead? For me personally, if I saw people have been involved in that stuff, it would impress me because they've obviously got a drive and desire to learn more um, and, and push themselves to try and get into the industry. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like I wanted, I'd want to see that for sure, but I'd also want to understand what they're doing in their spare time. Like um, I, I don't really mind whether you've got a degree or not. Like if you can show me real talent in terms of, you know, you might, you know, you might be a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad, and you just decide that you want to break out into the games industry. If you can show like real um, sort of drive to learn learn the modern tools and to understand how our industry works, and then produce something like to completion and bring that to show us, then then that's just as valid as somebody that's gone and done a degree and uh, have got has got some similar material. Um, you know, I think it doesn't really matter. As long as the drive and, and the quality is there, then, you know, we'll be interested. Are there other, like, industries or professions that um, the games industry could pull designers from? Um, yeah, I think so. Like, it, it depends on... This kind of comes into the specialism, I suppose. So, you know, when we think of, like, UI and UX, um, you know, it might be that somebody's come from, um, you know, developing apps that aren't game-focused, um, you know, or it might be that somebody's come along from print and they just have an eye for detail when it comes to layouts that could quite easily be transferred to UI and UX. Um, so I think absolutely there's always sort of crossovers where different backgrounds can help bring a different understanding. Uh, and, you know, you only got to look back through some massive games that have been done in the past to see how, you know, various you know massive studios have used architects to help build or try to build better level design and, and you know, and I think the, the more games become more realistic, especially as we move into this next generation, uh, and, and even in the previous, uh, the current one, um, you know, the thinking and the worlds have to be so much more believable that the structures that we move around and see um, have to be grounded in, in some sort of realism. And, and that, that's it's a bit of a sweeping generalization. It's not always true, but it certainly um, helps to ground the world that you're moving around. I remember somebody telling me about getting architects involved with design before, and I didn't know if it was actually real or not. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think um, famously, I think Valve uh, did a little bit of that in the early days, and I, and I know Bungie did as well. When I think when they worked on uh, Oni, if I remember right, which was a game they did before um, you know Halo came about. Um, so yeah, there, there were definitely examples where um, studios brought all the disciplines in to help improve you know, level layouts and things like that. And don't get me wrong, like, you don't have to be an art architect to build, like, a really cool multiplayer level, but it's just a different way of thinking and, and just gives an example of how people have um, approached this in the past. I, I guess on that note, it's, it's a little bit slightly off, but when it comes to other types of design, like AI, just knowing how, I, I guess a good example would be in a boss fight, in a game where there's, say, a lot of fear involved. So Alien Isolation, if you're dealing with the alien, understanding where to hide and such and how your, the player is meant to be feeling to perform these actions, a lot of it goes into psychology. But when it comes to creating fear, it's just all these kind of emotions and stuff that you can get from other areas that isn't necessarily just taken straight from games. Going into towards film writing and such, if, you're, if you worked on mise-en-scene and general film techniques, it's pretty much 
a really good link to creating these scenes and these scenarios when it comes into these bigger budget games with cinematic sequences as well. It's just generally when it comes to how you guide the play into this environment, the lighting as well, a lot of it does tie together. So it's not just a, a game environment, as you said. So it's definitely that thing where there's a lot of different ways to jump in. Yeah, totally. I agree. Have you got any advice for those starting to look into design? So maybe things that they could look out for when they're playing games um, or maybe kind of influences from different media as well. So something that I've uh, said to people before is, you know, a lot of people who get into games are gamers themselves or have some sort of um, love of games. Um, Look at the games that you enjoy the most um, and look at the like a certain part of the game that you enjoy the most and analyze why it makes you feel that way. Look at what they use in order to create that level and try and pick apart the, not only like the geometry, but the way the script's written, the way the, like where the audio cues suddenly play and just kind of take it piece by piece um, to deconstruct it and then try your best to reconstruct it again. Um, there's a lot of learning um, by just remaking existing levels. Even the ones that you really don't like, it helps you understand why you don't like that and perhaps maybe avoid some of the things that they've used in that particular level or in that particular piece of gameplay or how that narrative's delivered. Um, so yeah, just getting your hands mucky as well um, in that respect is, is a really good way to just dive in the deep end and learn. Yeah, that's a good shout, Rihanna. I think as as well, one thing that I think gets missed, and certainly did for me until, um, uh, uh, you know, till, till quite later on in my uh, understanding of game design, was just how much kind of traditional gaming, like such as you know D and D and board games, uh, are relevant to to our industry, like on on such a fundamental level. Oh yeah. Um, and it was it was re- like I say, it was relatively late for me for realizing that, and I think that you know it's a no-brainer to everybody once you've spent a lot of time with with video games and with the board games but you know understanding how they work like the the, the different systems at play the fundamentally are video games look like at their core like it's just presented in a different way um and so there are so many places like um totally everything that Rianne said but even like more traditional ways of game um are worth looking is it too late for me to get into game design it's never too late. Never too late. <laughs> never too late. Every time I do one of these podcasts and I listen to people that know what they're talking about, I'm like, I wish I did that. <laughs> the world is your oyster. Maybe you I'll do it. maybe I'll use my sumo learning days. There you go. That's what they're for, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Excellent. Just want to actually jump back to what Rianne just said about when you see someone else's in a game that you may like, why do you, even in a game you really hate? Try to reconstruct it, break it down and rebuild it from scratch and be a different engine or in a different style. You can really find out what makes and breaks those things. If it's a sequence that is well-renowned, people would praise you for being able to reconstruct it because you was able to understand what made it that piece. But at the same time, if there's something that's really bad and be you can jump on any like Metacritic and see games with really, really poor reception and break those games down and remake them, if you can turn those weaker stuff in something good, then it kind of shows you have a clear understanding of what mistakes people have made in the past and understanding how, say, the different player types came into it. Some people may want to explore more, but the game was limiting. Or people's action limitations, if their characters' functions didn't work well to accommodate the area, maybe that's something you can test. If you explore these things in your own time and just enjoy these in personal projects, it would show quite a lot in terms of understanding what makes these pieces enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. It, it develops like a 
you start to understand people's understanding of those concepts. It's like if you take, um, I don't know, modern examples, it's like uh, if we take The Last of Us 2, for example, if we're going to mm-hmm. give a recent example, um, you know, there's a, there's a character in there where they're building up a particular fear that this character has. Um, and I, I'm going to non-spoilery version for everybody. So, um, but they, they sort of build this, this fear up across a few sequences within the game. And then you get to this big moment where there's a massive payoff because of that, that tension that they've been building up. And it's really so effective. Like, and, and you get to this moment where the, the fear of this character is, is really just put out there for everyone to see. And it's crippling for this character. And you, you're feeling it through the audio, through the presentation, through the amazing visuals. And I think that when people can understand all of the different components at play, and that's very much the job of the designer, uh, and to understand how all that has been woven through elements of the game, and not just it's not just one quick um, sort of sequence. It's, it's, it's just built up to this crescendo. And it, the payoff is amazing, and I think that's the that's the sort of understanding that 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 helps develop a good designer. And it, you know, it's not just those big moments either. There's there's lots of other things that go on in many different games where they, you know, we're we're kind of weaving what we want the person to feel throughout the journey of the title, through the narrative, through the the experience, the tactile stuff that you're doing in the game, relatively speaking. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that leads into a lot of what Nathan was just saying. Um, you, you know, understanding how they. Are put together and why is is crucial yeah it's 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 interesting because in the in the situation where you are rebuilding a moment from a game up obviously it could even just be such a short snippet like a five minute piece but because you're dissecting it in different areas or what you should be if you can break it down to the the audio the 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 gameplay inputs and such the, the visual style lighting it's all these different fields that in the end you're getting so many different skills you're learning in different areas of design that be it you didn't enjoy one or another at least now you understand it which allows you to be more in tandem with the rest of your design team you're you're a little bit more in sync with people and for the ones you did enjoy at least now you have a little bit more of a clue of what kind of areas you personally want to push and where you want to move to like where areas you want to push towards let's talk about portfolios so this is a very basic question probably with a more complex answer but what do you want to see in an applicant's portfolio? I would imagine it varies wildly depending on the type of design. Um, yeah, for me, the portfolio, I mean, obviously experience is always going to be a big important thing. Um, but for those that don't necessarily have that experience, it, it falls back to what we've discussed earlier. And it really is that commitment and uh, drive to improve themselves and build something in their spare time to show off what they're capable of. That's the thing with design. It's not, it's not like you've got... Um, an art portfolio where you've got a bunch of images you can show off. So we need to have an understanding of what you're able to put together. Um, and for people that are just breaking through into design, that's, it's really quite difficult. Um, so it, we have to have something to see. We have to have something to look at. Whereas people that have got the experience and uh, you know worked at AAA studios or even you know um, sort of indie studios in the past, they will usually have elements of a game that they can point to and said, "Yeah, I did that." And you know that's the that's the disadvantage that um, you know graduates and, and uh, people that are new to the industry in design are going to have. So that that's where they need to think. They need to think about okay, what can I show that really lets people know what I'm capable of, uh, and that's going to be the challenge for them. Uh, but but ultimately, what we're looking for, or at least in my case. Awesome. What what did um, so Rianne and Nathan? What what kinds of things would you have in your portfolios? Um, say when you were just starting out, or m- maybe now that you've kind of got some 
industry experience under your belt? Mine was horrific. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Mine was horrific. Um, Paul mentioned something earlier about the like, courses being quite uh, general, which is a good thing, but also a really bad thing when you're trying to apply for a specific role. Um, and the mistake I made was I would put everything into my portfolio and everything into my CV. That is anything from QA work to concept art I did to field recording I did. Um, And what that did was made it so much more difficult for someone to look at my portfolio and look at my CV and go, yeah, I understand what this person's about because they just had to read through so much stuff um, to try and find the bit that they wanted to find. Um, so if you're in that position and you're, um, either you've come out of a general, uh, course or you've had experience in a lot of fields, just make the effort to tailor your, especially your CV and especially your covering letter if you need one, um, to the role that you're applying for, because it, you get so many CVs through a day, um, that, as a games company, you kind of have to, at least the things I've been told, is you have to prioritize the top of the pile, like which ones stand out the most. And if you're wanting, like nobody's going to be able to read three pages of stuff, you're going to have to quickly look at something before an interview or before looking at a candidate. um, And it's way easier to gauge that person with a quick, oh, you've done all of this tick, tick, tick relevant experience. Um, also, my CV was purple, um, <laughs> which <laughs> which helped. It helped and it hindered. So it helped that because it, it stood out. Um, and I would definitely recommend anyone who's not made a creative CV before give it a go because it's a nice alternative. Um, but yes, it was also extremely garish. <laughs> I think to that point, Rian, like. Um... Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds pretty garish. I'd, I'd love to see that. Like, uh, like the, I've still got it somewhere. I will send it but, to you. But the, the thing that you kind of alluded to there that I think is really important is that, you know, when, when I'm looking through CVs with, with some of the other people on the team, um, it, that first page, it's really, really important. Like, if that doesn't grab me and interest me, then you're going to struggle, frankly. Uh, and I think that um, you, you, you're right. You need to tailor that information to the role you've applied for. Um and, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody that's probably, you know, uh, not even a senior level applying for a lead role. Um, and, and that's not, it's just not going to happen because, you know, you don't have the skill set to be a lead on a project. And, and I think that, that that's it. You've really got to think about the roles you're applying for, tailor your CV to, to, to match that and give you the best chance of impressing people. Yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not as well, because you might have so much to give, but all we can see on a piece of paper or the opening uh part of your website is just like lots of stuff to go through kyle is that is that something that you would you would kind of second or third (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'd literally echo everything that everyone said basically um so yeah tell your application make sure it's specific to what you're going for uh, make sure there's information on what you've actually done so if you've got things like your projects on your cv cv talk a little bit about what you've done in that actual project yourself um, on your CV. Um, I'd definitely recommend a covering letter because it just makes your application a little bit more personal. Um, and it sort of gives you a, it gives you an opportunity to say why you want to work for this company. 
Um, if a lot of the time I see a lot of applications come through without a cover letter, and it's a bit, it doesn't like it doesn't deter me, but it you know it doesn't. They've probably banged out twenty applications to twenty different companies, and they're just not bothered to write a cover letter. Um, and then from the portfolio perspective, I'm sure the guys would all agree. And I, I think Nathan, you mentioned it earlier, quality over quantity, definitely. Um, I think I think me personally, I'd much rather see three polished pieces of work on a portfolio that are completed and look great than 10 half finished bits and bobs that, that, that someone's working on. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, the, you know, showing things that are done to completion is, is really important. Um, you know, it's, that's not to say that half finished things can't be impressive, but you know, it does set an expectation. Um, so I think that, yeah, the more polished and more slick the content you can share, the better. With the tailoring your portfolio for the job, definitely as well for who, which studio you're going for. If you're making sure you're applying for a particular style, you may want to make sure if you have like, say, four really good projects and you're trying to wear it down to three, maybe don't give the Assassin's Creed guys your Mario one, or maybe do. It, it really depends if you know what kind of uh, studio these people will be, these uh, developers are, uh, what kind of game, sorry, these developers are making. It may be worth just looking across your portfolio of pieces, what items you have, and placing the one that caters towards that group higher than others. Are you suggesting that my work on Barbie Horse Adventure was wasn't? Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's real, by the way. Oh my god, you you worked on Barbie Horse Adventure? Oh my god, what platform is that on? Oh, that, that, I think it, I think it was on a few things. Uh, like yeah, we we were yeah a long time ago. Game Boy Advance game it was. Oh my god, <laughs> I would have loved that. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah, it wasn't massively, you know, not long before we did a Max Payne on, on GPA. So. <laughs> Even better. A <laughs> little bit of difference. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> so my question was going to be, um, it might be a little bit kind of rudimentary, but what's the best kind of format for applicants to send their portfolio in? Is it is it better to have it as a website or maybe like a PDF? Um, is it something that doesn't actually really matter that much and it's just the best way of showing off their work? For me, I think, you know, I appreciate that, that, that sometimes the wacky stuff can really help sort of set you apart. But I think, again, it boils down to quality. If you're going to do something that's quite like garish and out there, it needs to be super slick and super tight still and focused. And, and I think that if you're going to challenge people by doing something that's a little bit more, you know, unconventional, let's say, then it has to be super polished and super good because you know nine times out of ten people are going to look at that going okay here we go like but that's not to say that it can't make an impact if it's done well um you're just setting yourself up for some high expectations if you're brave enough to go and do that um i think personally my take would be just focus on doing something really well whether that's a blog or a website with um some information about what you've done what you're capable of um that supports what you're putting in your CV. I'm sure Kyle's probably got some thoughts on this one too. But for me, I like to see um, funky looking websites that just really um, show that you're passionate about presentation and the way that you come across to people. And personally, that does impress me a little bit. Uh, like I, I want to see that dedication to the craft and to the art and understanding because this is fundamentally communication. And, and if you can grasp for the fact that I want to show you what's important to me by putting it forward in the best possible light. That is design and it starts right there. 
it, it definitely hits both on what you both have said previously about when it's stand out, but not in a negative way. Because in the end, you amidst the 100 other people applying for this job, you are also a brand and you want to make sure this brand is eye-catching to people. They want to take part. Maybe, maybe be careful with the type of things you have on, on your website. If it's like, if you want to try something that's out there, like have a embedded game or a video, make sure these things, you're understanding who you're going to be giving it to. If it's a game, they probably may not have the time to play it, but it may be just interesting enough. They're like, oh, cool, there's a playable thing here. I can't look at it now, but at least I know they have these skills. So just be careful of what you throw up there because their time is very short. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, like, Previously, before I've uh, interviewed applicants, it, you don't get a lot of time to sit and download uh, a zip file, unzip it and play the game. The best way and my personal favorite way to look at someone's work is either screenshots or a video um, and either a walkthrough of your level, um, a commentary on going through uh, your game, uh, your game design, um, something that's like less than two minutes perhaps where someone can sit down and go oh I get what this level is trying to achieve I see the gameplay in motion I can hear the narrative I can um, see the the thought and detail that's gone behind the design in this particular piece of uh, portfolio work that they've given me so yeah that's my personal favorite yeah I, I think that's a great shout Rian like um, having commentaries against um, like levels that people have built or you know um, different mechanics that they might have produced like I agree. That's a really good, uh, really good show. We um, put out a post on social media for people to ask you some questions. So I've got a handful here. Um, some of them loop back to some of the topics we were talking about earlier, um, but I will dive right in. So someone's asked more generally, what is the design process like? So what are the first steps that you would take to approach designing a completely brand new game? That's an interesting one, and, and it can depend on the project um, and the size of the team, the, the size and scope of the project too. But I think I can, I can give a, some context. Um, one one of the ways that we go about that is um, producing like a, a high level game design, right? So that will be um, kind of a it, it does what it says on the tin. It's a high level look at what the game is supposed to be, and and it will cover most of the main features within a particular game. Um, and give the client um, a good idea of what the bigger picture is. Um, and from that point, from that high-level game design, we kind of extrapolate all of those features, and then we create a suite of documents um, that really start to dive deep into all of those features. And, and that's the moment where we start to work with the other disciplines. Um, and they help us to put that documentation together. Um, and what we tend to do... Um, really well here is, is we, we kind of go with like a, what we'll start with is like a one pager and that just gives you um, a very high level look at what a particular feature is supposed to be and then we'll have the overview which is a, a deeper dive into that particular feature and then we create what we call a specification and that specification is really deep dive into a particular feature exploring what that is with the other disciplines and, and bringing everybody together to really help understand what this thing needs to be and you know that might be power-ups or it might be um you know a combat mechanic or, or whatever it is for the game that you're working on but that, that tends to be how we recently approach um putting the documentation together and it's been really successful for us um certainly that's that's a recent um example <laughs> yeah and to add to that um i always find that it helps to have uh pillars like design pillars 
Um, some things just to refer back to. Uh, whilst you're creating the core design of your game and making sure that it is ticking the boxes you want it to tick and you're on track and sort of not going completely off piece or yeah it's all connected and it's all on the same sing from the same hymn sheet yeah it's a good shout around because uh, one of the, and that would normally come in at the high level game design phase as well like you, you you're thinking about the pillars uh, who your audience is and and all of those things that that's what you're starting to explore with that high level game design um, and the pillars are really really important um, you, you tend not to have many of them so you know around three i would i would suggest and those three pillars really, like Rianne said, they're just touch points for you to go back to and say, you know, are we still doing this? Does this feature do this? And how is it doing that? It's just something, a reference point that you can go back to to understand the soul and intention of your game. Um, yeah. That was, yeah, fairly comprehensive kind of dive into that. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, hopefully that answered their question. I think it did. <laughs> I don't know. Nathan, have you got anything more you want to add on that one? I think... You know, that's how stuff I can relate to from recent times. Um, I, I don't know if there's there's any different experiences for yourself that might add to that. I, I agree. I'm just thinking as well, in terms of depending what type of process you're in, how early it is, when you are rapidly iterating, don't don't feel afraid to just get things out as quick as possible to test it. As long as you know what those three pillars are and you're testing out those three Cs, your, your characters, your controls, your, your camera, and feeling it out early on to know what this identity is, it can really help you just identify what you also aren't making. So it makes it get an identity really early on to know what you're trying to push for. And as you've said before, if you go too far off, you just look back and see, have you have you met your goal yet? No. Okay. Try a different way. Change what you're doing and just reiterate until you get your point really clear. So when you start bringing in the other disciplines, you've already identified the problems before you end up in this loop where people start saying, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You don't want to dilate it, uh, dilute it too much. You already have your answers set up. Yeah, it's a really good shout. I, I think sort of to move on from from that particular point as well. What what um, is another important part of the d documentation process is what people do for live documentation. So the process that I explained earlier is a real good example of how we set up to to build a title, where. Um, once you get up and running and the title's into full development, you need like a live documentation or we like to have like a live documentation sort of area. And that might, you know, typically it might be Confluence or something like that that's used to sort of document all. It might be that all the power-ups, for example, are listed on Confluence or the different combat mechanics for a title or the different, um, you know, uh, UI menus and all that kind of stuff are listed on something like Confluence or OneNote or wherever. Um, but having a system that people that, that's live that lives and breathes with the project is also something that can be very useful at times. Um, the the challenge, um, as most designers would appreciate, I'm sure, is making sure that that's maintained and kept up to date, which is a very important part of the job. Cool. I'm going to dive into another one of the questions. So, um, someone has asked. Um, most vacancies at larger studios are for senior and lead game designers. How come entry-level positions are so rare? Because everyone wants to make video games. <laughs> no, no. Um, video games are awesome. Um, in, in part, that's kind of a joke and kind of not. It's, it is such a competitive industry to get into. Um, I mean, when I was applying, this was around four years ago now, I graduated and I applied for so many jobs and it was so difficult to find junior um like assistant uh, intern like all of these uh first steps into getting into the industry 
Um, there's not really a good answer, I think, unless any of you guys have one. It, it, it's just really difficult. <laughs> Go on, Carl, you're going to say something. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think um, the reason why it's probably you know, there might not be junior positions up is it's purely down to project requirements. And if a project can't take juniors, unfortunately, we, we don't have those vacancies. Um, but that changes throughout the year. Another thing you'll find is obviously junior vacancies or mid-level vacancies are a lot easier to fill because there's a lot more people at that level than there are the senior and lead levels. So those roles will get filled a lot quicker. So they might go up on the website, but also come down very quickly when they get filled. Um, There's such a shortage of sort of seniors and leads and and above in the market at the minute, which is probably why you see a lot more of those types of positions advertised as well. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally relate to that as well. I think... um, you know, it, it's not that those positions aren't there. It's just that they do get snapped up super quick. And, and I think that, you know, I, I think this is some of the, the stuff that Sumo is, is looking into, and that is just how we can engage with more junior, um, you know, uh, designers or, or staff that are potentially coming through. And I think that, um, you know, we have to support those roles for sure. And, and there's definitely a desire to do that. It, it's just, it is that competitive. Um, you know, it, it can be, really challenging to pull in seniors and leads, which is why you tend to see those um, roles sticking around a bit longer. You know, for, for people that are just trying to break in, it might seem quite frustrating, but um, it's equally as frustrating trying, you know, um, having those jobs up there and, and getting people in. It's quite a challenge. Um, you know, there's a, it's a big competitive industry and, uh, you know, it's, it's part and parcel. Yeah, I, I will say as well, in the case of always looking at a website to see things pop up if you aren't always if you aren't going above and beyond by going to social networking events and meeting other game devs in your area or even beyond like traveling further out for game jams and such and just creating these connections with people you may find that some of those positions are being filled up immediately because people are discussing and sharing information and contacts that yeah, it just it just comes and goes so quickly. So definitely get your face out there. If you're if you're university or even even at school in a secondary school or college, if your things are doing these events, get out there, meet people, and you'll find these connections build really quickly. And before you know it, they'll have positions and be looking for people, and they already know you. That's a really important point. Like um, you know, getting your name and face out there. Like even if it's to like there, there are a lot of. Um, regional events such as um gamio and you know the, the the riverside nights that we've do, done ourselves like where um some people can can you know people that are studying or, or sometimes professionals can that they'll have some moments where you can go and share um you know what you've built and and i think that if you can get to events like that the ones that do allow for for juniors or um you, you know graduates to to attend them then get your get your name in front of people start showing them what you're doing and even if even if it doesn't lead to anything initially, you know, you can start to make yourself known, show that progress and people will remember you the next time you see them and just go, Oh, so what have you been doing since the last time we spoke? And then you can say, well, you know what? I've learned a bunch of stuff by soaking into unreal or unity. And, and I've managed to put this demo together. Would you mind taking a look? And then, you know, you've got that connection. And, and I think that's, that's so important. Exactly. Even, even if you've applied for something and it isn't your time just then and there, they've already seen your face, they've already built a connection with you. It's, it's perfect. Just wait for things to appear. But at the same time, just keep, just keep pushing yourself. Don't, don't stop. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's like build it and they will come, right? <laughs> I wonder how that's going to work like with this past year and obviously us not having the social events and stuff. The online presence has actually been really good though. Um, since, I mean, 
Twitter and LinkedIn and all these sort of more social online spaces, um, you get to know people just by them being present online and talking about games and showing their demos. Um, there's so many tweets that come through my feed every day of people prototyping things. And I go, oh, that looks really cool. I'm going to follow them. Um, and then later down the line, who knows, there might be a position open and I might think, oh, actually, I've seen that person. I wonder if they're they're free right now. I think they'd be perfect for this job. That's a very idyllic um, scenario, but but it happens. I totally agree with you, Rianne. I think, again, that's it's all about creating content and putting it out there for people to see. And if you're doing that and your spare time is sharing it across social media, then as somebody that's trying to break into the industry, there's nothing more powerful than that. Creating content, getting it out there, is probably the most important part of this. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're pushing just a personal project on like what hashtag screenshot saturday and it's just up there and it gets like two thousand likes out of nowhere you have people looking at you and wanting more and it's kind of a lot more than just saying oh i have a great project but i'm not going to share it because someone steal it it's it's just getting yourself i wish out i had there. two thousand likes on anything <laughs> <laughs> me, me too me too <laughs> So my final question from social media, um, I feel like we have already answered it um, just with what we were just talking about. How do I get into a game design role with no experience at a studio? Yeah, I think we've probably answered that one. I think it's just, you've got to just commit to learning and show content. So just keep trying to master that your craft. Um, and and really, you've got to put your, you, you've got to put your in, sort of intentions where your mouth is i suppose like you know if you're saying that you want to be a game designer be a game designer it's, it's like when i can't remember uh, the author that, that said it like but if you want to be a writer write like it's 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 quite it's as simple as that like if you just because it's the level of success really that that people mistakenly um use to say whether they're a, a particular thing or not and, and i think that that's the mistake that a lot of people make just go and do the thing Right, go and design a game. Go and start thinking about how to build that thing in Unity or Unreal or whatever, and and then show it off. Like it's 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 really quite that simple. Um, and the more you do it, and and fail, like don't be scared of failure. That's the biggest problem. Like people are, are so scared of of learning sometimes because they're scared of what other people might say. Like understand that the only way that you can ever learn is by failing. Like that that is what we all have to do. And you know getting things wrong getting things wrong and then learning how to fix a thing is the only way to push yourself in your development and and so keep keep learning share what you're learning get the feedback from people that are telling you how you're doing things wrong fix it make something better and keep going keep doing it god damn it paul calls for president i feel really Jesus. inspired <laughs> yeah <laughs> agree failure will lead to innovation if you just keep pushing for it it's um i think i mentioned it on, on a previous talk actually about how the toolbox fallacy if you literally just keep saying i, I, I can't do this until i do this but i won't do that until i do that then you're you're constantly putting barriers in front of yourself but if you put, knock down those barriers by just doing then you'll well you'll be going <laughs> yeah as shia labeouf said just do it but it is it is it sounds so simple but it is it's true exactly true and finding that motivation is sometimes so difficult it can be so difficult to go i am going to just sit here and do something or i'm going to allocate time because time is sometimes so precious too um but you just even if you sit for an hour like just sit and watch unreal 
tutorials for an hour. That's an hour closer. Um, don't penalise yourself by thinking that oh, I don't know anything about being in the games industry. Well, of course you won't because you've not been in the games industry. Nobody's expecting you to have a, an inner knowledge of the working of a, of a game studio. That's that's exactly why we have like internships and junior positions is because we want to get people fresh into the industry because even if you don't know a lot about the industry from personal experience, you still have something fresh to bring to the table. You still have creative ideas and, and are passionate about games and that's exactly the foundation that any game developer starts with and that's a positive thing absolutely absolutely i, th- I think that that you're right Rian. like it, it is so difficult and it's so easy for us to sort of sit there or people to sit there and just go oh you know what there's not enough opportunities they get snapped up super quick or find an excuse to not do a thing and that's the mistake that people make it, it's yes you could sit there and, and you can tweet about how there's not enough opportunity you have to create that opportunity. You have to sort of give people a reason to want to hire you. And and that, that can only be done through just pushing yourself constantly. For for context, if anyone out there is like struggling to find things, it took me six months and over 70 applications to land my first job. It's, it's not easy. Like some people, it's much easier. Um, and the trick is just, you, you got to just keep going. You, you can't, not because the moment you stop is the week that something pops up and you've missed it because it goes so quickly um yeah so you just have to if it's something you're passionate about just and enjoy as well um just keep doing what you're passionate about and what you enjoy and eventually putting yourself out there and applying to things it will pay off in the end although i i do have a totally off topic question go for it which might set set us all off again um apart from barbie horse adventure in your opinion what is like an example of a design masterpiece in games to you well, it's hard to follow that up though isn't it called that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are so many it's such a difficult question to answer it's like when somebody comes and asks you what your favorite game is and i used to do that to some old industry friends of mine when um you know, before I got into the industry. Um, I was fortunate that my parents knew people that worked in the industry at the time. Um, and, you know, they, they were they were great and really encouraged me to sort of learn about things. Um, and, but that was like the most annoying question. As a kid, I'd just be always, what's your favourite game? Like, and, uh, and, and I think that, you know, when you think about that question, it's like saying asking you what your favourite piece of music is. It's like, it's so subjective and it's so yeah. dependent on on how you're feeling like you know what what you're up for playing at that particular point in time um you know and and i think there's the obvious ones right you know you you think about the systems that are in playing zelda or the just the core hookiness of the running around in a mario title the cinematic experience you get from a lot of the rockstar games or the the naughty dog stuff um they're all so special for very different reasons Uh, and i think that you know to call one out is very difficult um certainly recently um, I, I absolutely love The Last of Us Part Two. Um, you know, I, I the the attention to detail in that title and the the mechanics that are in play and the presentation of that thing, the way that it makes you feel in so many different ways. Um, and I don't just mean the obvious stuff, like uh, with with things that happen to characters. It, it's it's the mood that it sets from uh, different parts. The the way that the weather plays a part in that. The way that the um, the tension between characters sort of develops throughout the course of the game. It's a masterpiece, like it really is. And and I think that um, 
that's just to call out a recent um, thought of my own anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that again, it's one of those questions. It's I could answer that with so many <laughs> different titles. I really could. <laughs> well, I'd be keen to hear some of the others from from, from Nathan and Rihanna as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess from from my side, it, it's as you've mentioned, it's, gosh, it's so impossible to say a masterpiece. Um, but I guess just to scratch at one area, I like when when game design designers try to go above and beyond like hardware limitations and try try innovate to find ways to bring your connection of empathy towards your character in, in weird ways. You see it in a lot of a lot of indie games. I usually try to do it, and I think this kind of goes back to if you have an idea, regardless of your budget or your time, just just try it. Things like um, as most people would usually jump to, like Undertale, and even weird games like um, Ducky Ducky Literature Club. These are not really popular games, but they stand out on how they go through doing weird things through menus or manipulating game files just to make you the person feel directly involved in the game as opposed to just a player avatar you directly take the role of the character um more bigger budget games do this as well it towards say platinum games uh new automata <sighs> yokotaro is a yes. genuine genius when it comes to just manipulating people a lot and just it's 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 amazing how it's it's definitely it takes you in one direction where you expect it to be a, another Planet Games game. So let's say Bayonetta, you're going to be button mashing and stuff. But as the game goes on, they start dissecting your inputs and limiting what you can do to make you feel more powerless. And as the world literally starts to crumble away, so does things such as the graphics style. You become a different model, for example. And it's all these different areas of design. The audio changes for a more chiptune aesthetic to match this visual style. It starts to dissect and break away because the character himself is breaking away. And it kind of is that old, the whole ensemble. I enjoy when games literally do that by manipulating different ways around it. I was going to say exactly the same about Nia, because it's, it's one of those questions where it is the, the worst question in the world to have as like a... Sorry. A no, 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 no. In terms of, <laughs> it's like, oh, what's your favourite film? What's your favourite game? And all, it's so difficult because there's so many things we could talk about. Um... But to me, a game that does stand out is, like Nathan said, Near Automata, which was like amazing to me. Um, on the the way that everything was uh, had this synergy and had this organic flow to it. So with design, because there's so many facets, and design kind of tries to pin um, everything together in a cohesive way, and to have an experience like that game. Um, you can see the detail in everything blending together that matches the design. The music matches the design and the tempo of the fights. The way that the weapon systems have little stories to them and the way that you upgrade the weapons, the way that you can block out um, your abilities and level up, it's all connected, again, probably to some core pillars that they had, perhaps, um, but just the, the details really stand out and kind of move that game to a, like a level of excellence that maybe some games are really good, but the finer details really matter to just kind of go, wow, I can't think of anything that I would change or I can think of something very little I could change about that experience. That's a great experience. Um, on the other hand, hear me out. The Sims. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, I need, okay. I that one. And I'll yeah. tell you why. <laughs> what other game makes you want to literally forget about the outside world <laughs> around you for two days straight? 
um, you're you're neglecting yourself by not neglecting these virtual pixels. <laughs> and I that's that's great design to be able to make that. Who thought of that? You've become so in sync and so caring for these characters that you're like your your significant other would enter the room and be like, "Can you do need help?" You're like, "Don't talk to me." Yes, <laughs> my my children need me. <laughs> Another thing that I think is worth bringing up, actually, obviously, there's a couple of, you know, an obvious examples there, I suppose, like in terms of design. But um, Nathan started to allude to sort of, I don't know, a, a bit more obscure titles, I suppose. And I think that um, what I mean by that is if we think of sort of mobile titles, I look at my phone and there's a game that I've had on there for years and it's super hexagon. And, and I think that the simplicity of that title and the hookiness of that mechanic you know, that's, to me, that's a masterpiece, right? It's like, it, it's just, it, it's just there for me. Just, I can have a quick go on it for for 30 seconds and, and I've had a, my fill of it or I can sit there for three hours trying to get a better time on it. And it's 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 mental. Like, you know, that game's been around forever and I, it's still there on my phone. And I think that's good. That's, that's a sign of incredible design in, in my opinion. Um, you know, so I think there's, you know, there's so many aspects, there's so many titles out there and yeah, it's, you got to love it. <laughs> yeah, so um, if I am applying for a role um, at Sumo and I get an interview, what would my interview experience be like? Do I have to kind of do any tests beforehand? Um, and do you have any tips as well? So I think we, we used to do um, tests quite often, but we've moved away from doing that. Um, and now, I mean, the... It depends on what studio you interview for, because each studio has a different like way of wanting to do it. But the most common way that we view design for Sheffield and Nottingham as well at the minute is sort of three stages, which sounds quite arduous, but it's, it's not too scary. Um, the first stage is 30 minutes, and it'll be with a couple of designers, and it's just a bit more of a culture fit, you know. From our side, do we want to be working with this person? You know, how do they come across as a, you know, as an individual? Um, then the the second interview is more based around skills uh, and experience, and are they a fit for what we're actually looking for for this particular role for this particular project? Um, and then the final interview is normally um, meeting like the wider team, so uh, meeting the studio design director, and then meeting some of the designers that you're going to be working with um, at all different levels. That, that's generally what it looks like. Awesome. Cool. Um, and do we have any design positions that are open at the moment? <laughs> we have them all. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> do divulge. At, at the minute, I, I suppose it's going back to that question earlier of, you know, why are there no junior positions? At the minute, we are we are looking for a lot of seniors and, and leads. Uh lead game designers, lead level designers, uh, senior game designers, senior level designers. <laughs> um, I think that's because last year we hired a lot of sort of juniors and mid-levels and this year we're trying to catch up and make sure that there's people in place to to mentor um, and guide uh, those juniors and mid-level designers as well. Um, but yeah, that, that that's changing all the time and I know that there's going to be some mid-level roles coming up. I would, I would like to take a moment just to sort of say like women people from different backgrounds please apply like seriously like that we need to see more of you and um you know it's it's so inspiring to see those cvs come through when they do but we definitely need to see more of them 
And I just, I've got to say that. Yeah, diversity is such a, diversity is a huge problem in the industry at the minute. And we are striving to do everything we can to make our industry and our, you know, as diverse as possible. And be yourself as well. Like the, the the last thing we need is is someone coming in and trying to be someone they're not as well. Like we're not looking for big social media personalities or anything. We're just looking for someone who's enthusiastic about games. Like just be authentic to yourself and, and be kind as well. Yeah, that's a good shout, Rian. I think that's that's one of the big things for, for us on our team. We we're really proud of the dynamics we've got in our team. And, you know, we, we work, we strive to make that better every day. And, and it's, you know, it, it's just thinking about the person you want to be. Like, you know, who do you want to work with every day? Do you, do you want to work with somebody that's grumpy? Don't get me wrong, I can be grumpy sometimes. But for the, <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, I like to think that, you know, people would enjoy working with me. And I, and I think that if you can approach the day with that in mind, you know, the chances of you having a better day are, are, are almost certainly going to be there, right? So I, I think that's that's the thing. Think about what, what your persona is that you're putting out there. Do you want to work with that person every day? It's, you know, it's it's not hard to be nice and kind to people and to help them along on, the, on their little journey too. I, I, want to, I want to add to that, actually. Definitely with, with these interview setups, I know you obviously, you definitely put your best foot forward. And I feel like there may be the time we start to feel a little bit more tired in a long term, in a, in a position for a long term. But don't, don't, don't be passive when it comes to when you're in an interview. Just put your, be be yourself, be open, talk. And should any form of disagreement appear in an interview, in the case of what are your opinions on this project, this game, and then you have everyone in the office in the room is like, I like it, I like this. You don't have to be passive and just nod and smile. Have an opinion, especially in the design role. If you have an opinion. These d- discussions lead to innovation, and it literally lets people kind of see things from a different, different perspective. Say you are, for example, colorblind. You you may see something slightly different, like, oh, I actually can't perceive things in this way. Or if you are dyslexic, it may be an issue. Just things that make you see things a different way is generally what we want to be able to discuss and understand. So if you are in an interview and you're discussing things with people, uh, just discuss it. Talk freely. Absolutely. That's a great show. Love that. Yeah, That's great advice. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks to our lovely guests, Rianne, Nathan, Paul and Kyle for joining us. Um, It's been really awesome to chat to you guys. Um, Tons of useful advice in this episode. Um, If anyone listening has got any questions regarding recruitment, feel free to get in touch with Kyle. Um, I think you're on Twitter and LinkedIn, aren't you, Kyle? So we'll be sure to... um, include your your links underneath the podcast um you can also tweet us as well at sumo digital or email the recruitment team at sumo-recruitment at sumo-digital.com um and if you want to check out some of our open jobs some of the design roles we mentioned earlier head to sumo-digital.com forward slash careers and i think that's everything thanks again everyone for for joining us it's been Really, really nice to talk to you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) No worries. (laughs) See you later.